Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Funtime Exception. I'm Michael Kasich. And I'm Danny. And we've got two guests with us today. We've got John Engelman and Rob Fletcher on today. And Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and we're going to be talking... Welcome back. We're going to be uh, having kind of a general discussion uh, in the area of languages on the JVM. So we'll be talking about Kotlin and Groovy, Vanilla Java, and just some of the other things going on on the JVM right now. So uh, if everyone, John's been on, uh, John was in the first episode, he came on and he talked a lot about <clears throat> about Gradle, build tools, dependency management, and uh, he's back on. I'll let you introduce yourself if you want, John. Um, I don't know if anything's changed well, since this, you were on last. This, this is my third oh, appearance. Yeah. With the as-to-be-released-yet-second appearance. Yeah, so. yeah. That one will come out probably sometime so, in a week. And I, so, can, I can say it'll come out in a week. No one knows when we're recording this. What's so fine. Right. Something like a week. So, so, Dan, so Dan and Kyle and all those other people, uh, you know, I'm a three-timer. You better, you better catch up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rob's a two-timer. Two-timer yeah. Rob. <laughs> I'm now, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, John, if you want to talk about anything that's anything that's changed in the world from you for, for you since the last time we recorded, maybe. Um, I'm not sure what's, what's well, going not, on in the world not today. Not so much other than in that I got, I got through yesterday with uh, the crazy amount of internet shenanigans going oh, on. Yeah. Well, uh, we might have to come <laughs> back and talk to that because that on, that on its own is a solid topic. Um, right. And... Uh, like I said, we got Rob Fletcher on. Rob, have you got anything to add since you were on last? Um, Not much has changed. I mean, we had some fun and games yesterday with the uh, Dine DNS. Um, yeah, I'm sure you yeah, guys did. Well, yeah. that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was need to be on call. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I was I was on call all week, so that was extra fun. Yeah, although it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Well, it's, I mean, I would. I've had this conversation with some other people but it feels like for, for me there's nothing I could have done in relation to that so I don't know what, what you could actually do other than communicate back and forth with the people who are providing you updates uh, I'm not, not sure how else you how involved you could actually be at that point in time because it, since it was such a you know it was a little network layer that is completely out of the control for most people so yeah and I'm well, you could have run home and take a sledgehammer to your, to your webcam <laughs> Yeah, stop your webcam from. <laughs> I'm not an, an, an external facing team either, so it was like I'm sure the guys who were dealing with like the edge, um, the edge projects in Netflix were were getting a lot more flack than I was. So. Yeah, I can only imagine the uh, the communication that's going on with those people from the higher ups who don't don't directly understand the technical problem, but are seeing the ramifications. They're seeing the result of like the internet being down and people straight up not being able to use a service and your service is entirely dependent on internet connectivity. So why have yeah, I hired you? I'm losing $10,000 per hour. Yeah. Yeah. The higher ups at Netflix would understand the problem, but um, yeah, I'm sure it was a pretty stressful day for, for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, for sure. So uh, before we, before we dive into all this uh, language fun, um, let's go around and, Kind of introduce uh, introduce whatever sort of beverages we've got in front of ourselves. Um, I'll get us started. I am once again drinking uh, something from Evil Twin Brewing. 
but this time, so I'm on a stout kick, so I went and I went to the local liquor store, which has a ton of really good stouts, and they actually had about four or five of these Imperial Stouts from Evil Twin, and I settled on one that is the Imperial Donut Break, and it's really strong, really sweet. Uh, I picked this one because I wanted a little bit of a pick-me-up, and this is um, got some coffee in it, so coffee and donuts. It's really sweet, but it's really good. So, a stimulant and a depressant, all in one. That's why I roll. I want my I want my body and mind really confused. <laughs> one pill makes you large, or one pill makes you small. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm uh, I'm still on my bottle of uh, Lafroig Ten, so that's what I'm having now. Nice. And then John, John, I uh, I went with a yeah I went with a just a standard uh, gin and tonic. Um, using some uh, gin from a local distillery here in Minneapolis called Norseman. And uh, the tonic is actually from my neighbor who makes it as a side business. She oh, makes cool. her own art- artis- artisanal tonic. What's, so. the, the, what's the brand of that that, that it's sold under? Uh, I, I don't recall, and I'd have to run upstairs to go look at the bottle. <laughs> to do okay. That. Um, I'll, I, I can let you know later. <laughs> yeah, it could be in the show notes. Yeah, so if there's these show notes, which I feel are kind of incomplete. Uh, yeah, we'll to, do our, we'll do our best. Least, it, it it is sold in stores, so it is. It's not just like like she doesn't just like sell it from her house. She, she, she like it a, is distributed. She's like hands so. you a weird like Mountain Dew bottle filled with. Uh, Right. No. <laughs> yep. It's, it's got it's got a label and it's got a sealed cap and everything. The whole nine yards. So. Cool. John's got his hipster hat on today. <laughs> Locally sourced. Sorry, I mean yeah, South scarf. Minneapolis is going that way. <laughs> yeah. Cool. How about you, Rob? Um, I've got a some kind of a variation on a Negroni here with um, with a local spirit instead of Campari. There's something called Bruto Americano, which is made up in Alameda, California. Um, and it's a little more flowery than Campari, a little less harsh, but it's pretty good. seems like everyone's, everyone now has, regardless of where you're at, at least in the United States, you can get local, like everyone's doing everything locally now. There's a lot more locally sourced options for, like in the, in the cities here, there's all of your, like your, Vodkas, your gins, all that stuff, like they're they're being made all over the place, so you can always get something local. So the some of the the side products associated with that stuff, the other stuff the other stuff you use to make a mixed drink, I've seen a lot more of that stuff as well. So not just the big hitters like the gin, vodka. Yeah, that's kind of the um that's kind of the awesome thing about neutral spirits and, and beers, like breweries and distilleries you can pop open anywhere. And uh, these things like bitters and liqueurs you can you can make them in your basement. Yeah, right. I think it, it, cool. I think that would be illegal, Danny. But yeah, you can. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, you can make your own bitters in the basement. I don't think right. I think that's illegal. But distilling without a without the proper equipment and licensing is probably not a good good idea. In the cities, they, gonna... <laughs> in the cities, they relax the laws a little bit. I think as well, which is causing an influx in distilleries. I think that it used to cost quite a bit more to get a license in order to do it. And now it's, unless I'm just making this up, but I, I believe I was informed that like the, the price, the introduction price for license is a lot less now. It's making it a lot more feasible. So see a lot more of it. So cool. Uh, Danny, do you want to go ahead and 
kind of introduce introduce the topic of topic of the night? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I guess I want to start off by asking, what, what was everybody's first programming language? I mean, for me, it was uh, Visual. No, it was QBasic. QBasic back in high school. Mine was um, Basic as well, but like on, we had a model of computer in the UK called the BBC. It was actually of kind of tied to some educational programming that the BBC did. Wow. Um, it was the first computer I had. So yeah, the, the variant of Basic that that thing ran was my first. Uh, mine was probably TI basic on my calculator, um, followed probably by, uh, HTML and a bit of JavaScript. And then, but my first, uh, my first like programming class was, um, scheme, which is a Lisp derivative. Hmm. That was your first language? Uh, in college, yeah, yeah. First first semester in college was Scheme, and then second semester is Java. At the at the at the University of Minnesota. That's pretty interesting. That's I good. think uh, at the time it was the same curriculum that MIT was following for its CSI. Oh, got degree. it. So it was that uh, it was that like SysP book or something, whatever, right? Yeah, like structures. Yeah, um, yeah something like that. <laughs> right. Huh. Cool. All right. I think Did I got you... around to scheme. Maybe I don't know if it was even my first year. It might have been my second year before we ever got to that. But I I didn't I didn't really have a program before college. But I was exposed to HTML and enough JavaScript to do something strange. I mean, it was that was all copy paste kind of thing. But I got started with Java at I think like seven thirty in the morning on a Tuesday or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Early morning introductions to programming, but yeah, Java was Java was my first language. Ah, I guess that brings us right to it, right? I mean, um, I don't know, like uh, you know, beforehand, um, you, know, you kind of had your languages either compile down to machine code, right, so that um, your machine could queue up the instructions and execute them. Or you would have, you know, a running interpreter that would um, interpret your code at runtime and figure out what it's supposed to do, right? And I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if before Java there was ever a virtual machine. Uh, um, well, small small talk, right? Okay, yeah, what I've never done. Awesome, right. I mean, what the? I, I mean, I, I I think. I mean, I'm not guessing, but I mean, Java is not. Java wasn't created from nothing. It's it's a derivative of Smalltalk, so I I kind of I guess I've always assumed that Smalltalk was also a, um, a, a like a VM platform. Yeah, I I know Java was inspired from Smalltalk in more ways than one. I didn't realize it extended down to the virtual machine. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I don't know if okay. it's a tactical <laughs> derivation um, or not. Like I said, I, I just, I guess I always assume that, but I've never looked into it. For sure. Got it. I, I know that a lot of um, proponents of small talk say that, you know, Java not truly, um, doesn't truly do like OO the way small talk does. Because I think small talk is all about sending messages between objects, right? Instead of um, calling or executing methods on objects, but. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you take a look around the world. I there's an interesting uh, like 
tree of languages and related families in the um, in a Go book. Um, it kind of shows like different families and groupings from like Algol and C families to ML and and it's all about like how do you send it's all about like sending data around, right? Like, you know, how do you exchange data with different pieces of code? Um, but at the end of the day, like, it's still just a programming language. You have a grammar, you have a syntax, um, you either compile it or you interpret it, and then you evaluate your code, right? And it just does what it does. So, I mean, Java has been around for quite a while, I think two decades by now. And I got to say that I like the direction that Java has been moving in. And it's, it's, um, it still has uh, a chance of staying in the market and staying relevant. Um, yeah, there was, there was kind of a time a couple of years ago where the, the common wisdom was that the Java language itself was going to die off and the JVM was going to be the kind of jewel in the crown of that whole ecosystem that, that would, you know, a thousand flowers would bloom of different languages on, on that platform. And, it, and to some extent that's come true, but I think Java's pulled itself back from the edge a little. Yeah, Java, Java, 8, Java 8's made a, a pretty significant um, leap forward. For the language, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm writing Java uh, and, and, and nine on top of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm writing Java eight day to day now, and it's and it's. I wouldn't want to. I would be annoyed if I was writing a lower, you know, one of the lower versions of Java. But eight's just about just about okay. There are still some things that bug me, but semicolons. <laughs> yeah, semicolons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This thing's like um, like the lambda syntax is super nice, but at the same time. You've still got checked exceptions to deal with. So anytime you've got to you do something that raises a checked exception inside of a lambda, you have to do the try catch right there because the lambdas the, the the SAM types that the lambda is implementing typically don't allow for checked exceptions to be thrown. Right. So that's yep. that's kind of annoying. Um, the the one thing that really bugs me is is the lack of ability to define value types easily, which you know, so something equivalent to Groovy's immutable annotation or data types in Kotlin. Um, or maybe structs in C. Yeah, or what's what's the one in Scala? Um, case classes. It's not exactly the same because case classes are a little richer than what I'm talking about. But um, you know, the idea of kind of being able to have an immutable type that just embodies value and you know has well-defined hash code and equals and all of that that kind of stuff done for you, whereas you still have to hand roll all that stuff in Java. Oh, sure. I mean, you can you can define an immutable type, but it doesn't. But you're ready. Yeah, you have to, you have to hand roll the e rolls and all yeah, that you, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so easy to make mistakes, and I think a lot of a lot of people who've only ever written in Java don't really understand the value of those things and why they're there is a fairly sharp distinction between those types and other types in my mind, and I think a lot of Java pure Java guys tend to blur those things a little bit, and you end up with people doing dumb things like trying to mock value types in in tests, hmm. you know. I mean, yeah, the, if we're talking about code style, I, Java's so general purpose. Um, it's got your threads, it's got I.O., it's file I.O., network I.O., and and like a pretty easy syntax and pretty easy to follow. Um, like, you, you can follow code and see what it's doing. But, you know, it's interesting it because it's Java is so... Until they introduce lambdas anyway. Now, you know, one complaint I get a lot about lambdas is is that people find it difficult to use a debugger with them, or difficult to follow the flow of execution. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, that that's style, but. it. It was the case for that, like in older versions of IntelliJ, but the recent IntelliJs are really yeah. smart about 
placing um, breakpoints on lambdas. Like it, it'll say like, oh, do you mean to replace it like on this line or within the lambda? And and it'll let you choose. But I mean, yeah, it's interesting because you know, despite despite how a programming language is designed in Java's case, it's pretty general purpose. It's interesting to see how different people with different levels of background come in and utilize the language in different ways, right? Like I'm coming onto a new, I'm coming onto a series of projects where um, people have just been writing Java without, you know, getting much feedback in in the way of um, in design patterns or best practices or solid principles or whatever, right? Wh whatever, whatever the quote unquote best practices to write um, your Java code in this day and age and what I'm coming across is a lot of Java code that returns void types and just create a whole bunch of side effects on the arguments passed to methods, yeah. which which is how people did things in C, right? Yeah, because yeah. Your, your return would be used for some kind of status and then you would just have side effects on all the parameters in C, yeah. yeah. Right, you're, you're passing pointers around and you're trying to be as efficient as possible. Like you don't want to copy things to your to your function just to compute something you want to you already have your reference so why not just pass that along it's interesting i mean java's gone quite through um quite a transformation uh, in terms of the way of thinking and and also like the way the libraries come back and kind of inform the way the language maybe should be spec'd out or should be written and um i mean because it is because java does run in a virtual machine um like you said earlier, Rob, we have seen a flourishing of a thousand different programming languages coming out on the JVM. Some good, some not so good, some for fun. And it also, um, it's also it also helps that it's pretty easy to write up a programming language in Java. I mean, you just come up with your grammar and then you can use Antler and you're, you're good to go, right? Um, there's a really nice tutorial online for um, implementing a language on the JVM and how you can um, and how you can do that, and it's I think like a six or seven part blog series, and it's pretty it's pretty interesting to go through. I've never used Antler myself. Um, I know that there's that gigantic book on Antler, but I don't think I'll ever. I, maybe I'll get to it one day, but um, it's we, it's clear it's clear to see that you know if you're not happy with how the flagship language is, like you can go out and do something about it. Um, maybe not to the turn and churn of you know, node world where you have not maybe not so many new languages coming out. I mean, we, we do have that for node, but um, but also in terms of just like frameworks and libraries churn that we get, right? Yeah, it's an interesting analogy because because it is a little bit like the way transpilation is used in the JavaScript space to to run a whole bunch of things on the effectively on the JavaScript platform. It's not the same thing, obviously. It's not compilation, but it's you know, and anything can be turned into JavaScript, so therefore you can write your code in all kinds of different syntaxes. Well, yeah, I think, I think what's this, this, the discussion starting talking about where, where Java stands today versus where Java was. And, and this whole idea that not long ago, people were considered they were, they were looking at the other at options aside from Java, because Java just didn't provide the options that some of these, some of these other languages did provide. I know in, in my own personal case, I started off doing Java stuff and then ended up moving towards the direction of Groovy. And Groovy seemed like such a better option because it provided all this nice syntax on top of it. And 
a lot of a lot of other functionality that just made me feel a lot more productive. But now the shift where newer versions of Java are coming out and it's really filling seems to be trying to fill those gaps and providing functionality that they've really seen people really demand. But at the same time, there's still there's still these languages like Groovy and and now with uh, Kotlin becoming growing in popularity, maybe in, in in part because the the backing that they have from uh, JetBrains. I'm just interested to see what what you guys think and like why is what are what are the things that are still missing from from Java that actually pushes people towards using something like Kotlin. I know that I know that Rob has done some work with with Kotlin. I'm not super familiar with it, but I know that there's there are enough advantages to it that people are considering using Kotlin still over Java. And I don't know what what are the what are the big differences that you guys are seeing um, in what the languages provide. Well, so before Rob jumps in about Kotlin, I'll just offer my my two cents on so the the things that I feel that the J, that Java as a language itself are still missing or are problematic with the language is they do make they do make significant steps forward at certain times. So Java five was a significant step forward by adding um, generics, but and then Java eight with the lambda syntax and and um, the stream API. But in my opinion, both of, all of those things they tend to come off as kind of half baked. Um, yeah. So, like Groovy as a language, I think is very popular with people, or at least that's why I was drawn to it because it does a good job of implementing um, very concise syntax for doing things like, you know, applying applying a block of code to every element in in a list or a collection, right? Like dot each. Um, even even with the streams API in Java eight, that is just an it's it's so cumbersome to deal with because you have to convert a collection to a stream, apply your your functions to it, and then if you want a collection back out of it, then you have to collect the stream back into a collection. Um, so it's just not it's just not real nice, um, right? And they do this because um, as the language move forwards, they're pretty tied to being to still supporting backwards compatibility to all the previous um, language features. So Java never really cuts anything out, right? They always they always add on. Um, they never replace, and that you know you can only do that for so long. I mean, we see we see that you know in any software application, let alone a language that, as you continuously build on top of things, you just you know you eventually will collapse it. Right, unless you go in and clean out some of that that old stuff from time to time. Um, so I think a lot of the a lot of the JVM languages are just designed um, to facilitate the you know to fill the gaps of the shortcomings of the JVM language and and what the JVM language designers um, kind of either refuse or purposely choose not to do in the language for for various re reasons, whether you agree with them or not. I mean, I yeah, I, I hear you. Um, supporting backwards compatibility is, uh, I mean, it's pretty important. But then, you know, if at the same time, if you don't do it, but you don't have a way to kind of control people from updating from app to app. Because, I mean, the company that I'm working at right now, we have a couple of services that just because these are one of the last remaining services that are living on um, internal app, uh, internal service, servers that were taken care of, like bare metal. Um, they happen to run on Java 6 just because 
it's on a really old version of Red Hat, uh, and you know, updating is going to require a lot of manual work. Um, but at right, the same and time, and as well, which was tied to tied to earlier versions of Java for the longest time. I think that I think they're breaking out of that now, but only Java. Yeah. Well, and the, the the bigger issue is not necessarily the right because if, if you're if you're in a, if your organization is still running Java six, you can't write Java seven code anyway, right? You can't you can't write you can't use the Java seven syntax and then run it on a Java six JRE. It, it it doesn't work that way. Um, but the bigger problem is if they started deleting things from the J, from the Java language, then um, external libraries written against older versions of the language may stop, would potentially stop working on newer versions, right? If you tried to run it, if you use something that someone wrote for Java 3 20 years ago, and then you try to run it on a Java 8, you know, runtime, it it could potentially not work. And that's that's what they're working to avoid. Not Not necessarily people um, authoring the language themselves, right? Because if you, if your company upgrades, you know, if you start writing code in Java seven, then you have to put a Java seven JRE in your in your runtime environment. Um, Minimum, that's just yeah. a prerequisite, right? So, but it's, it, it's the support of all the library. other libraries. The same thing's true for the standard library, which is why we still have Java util date and things like that. Right. Which are, so you know. Everyone can see the problems of those with those classes, but um, you know the, the, there's no they can't they can only be improved so far without breaking backwards compatibility. You can't turn Java util date into an immutable date type because somebody somewhere is relying on being able to set fields on it, right? I right. mean, and take a look at libraries like Hibernate, which are so ubiquitous. Um, they use date for everything. If you take a look at JDBC, they're using Java util date or Java SQL date, right? Um, these, these, you know, these kind of like old types that exist and maybe, sh you know, shouldn't exist anymore are, are everywhere. This is one of the reasons why, you know, the introduction of optional is so caused a big stir in, in Java 8, right? Um, this, this notion of an optional type to replace nullability, which, which I guess, I mean, it's a lot of languages have it. I mean, the most familiar to me is probably Scala. Um, but, you know... If you're interacting with all these old libraries that that are happily returning and accepting null all over the place, it's just how you, how do you introduce the use of op optional in your own code base? It's it's you're constantly converting backwards and forwards from this thing. Yeah, I mean, so so there seems to be a bit of um, there's like there's always tension, right? There's the tension of you know the intentions of the Java language architects who are really really smart people and probably have a whole bunch of other concerns in their mind um, and and they probably have seen so many different use cases that I can't even begin to imagine like I'm I typically use Java for writing web applications like I don't write desktop applications I don't do any kind of security I don't you know I don't do any kind of um, visual stuff at all or any kind of you know encryption or anything like that I I mean I use libraries that you do that stuff but typically day to day I'm writing web apps right um, and I can't even begin to imagine what they would need. And then you have kind of tension coming from your user base who, you know, have found warts and and things like that on your either the way something's implemented or the way something's working with. But I mean, that's kind of it's kind of nice because we have the tooling to kind of bridge that gap. We have IDEs to kind of help us out. Because um, I mean, let's face it, if we didn't have IntelliJ or Eclipse or any of these nice IDEs, and we had to do everything in Sublime, 
um, I'm not sure I'd be writing Java today. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd be writing any language. I mean, I think even with even with a Tursa language, that that stuff helps enormously. But yeah, particularly with Java, especially you know, one of the one of the annoying things about Java is just the amount of boilerplate that tends to be involved. I, I mentioned earlier trying to write you know POJOs, immutable POJOs, and you know. It's completely deterministic, the code you're going to have to write to do a correct implementation of this thing, but you still have to write it. So an IDE that can just generate that stuff for you is saving a lot right. of or, mistakes. Right, or or if you even take it the next level and like letting the compiler generate that code. Too, right. Yeah, right? Like, like Groovy does, and I, and I think Java 9 is adding that, right, Danny? Yeah. Like they're adding bean, bean support to the compiler, basically. Yeah, there's some talk about adding value types, or even you know it's available now with Lombok, which is which is a pretty interesting option for some things in like in in Java. I don't know if you guys have used that at all. Yeah, I've used it at my last company. I I like it. If I didn't know about Groovy, I definitely would have been blown away by Lombok. But the thing I don't like about Lombok is that you have to you're going to see red everywhere unless you um and you're not going to get the IDE completion unless you use the um. The plugin for IntelliJ, right? I'm not sure what it looks like in Eclipse. So, I mean, one of my beliefs these days is that you should be able to check out a project and it should just work as is. And I don't know any way to coerce or automatically have um, someone install the Lombok plugin without their knowing, right? You need that. Um, I, I know you need to have compiler annotations enabled. That's the other bit. Yeah, you need yeah. both of those on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that is a valid argument. It's just. I'm kind of allergic to to things like um, what's the Google project that does something similar, but it does it via code generation. Um, I forget now, but but I, I don't know. I've always hated stuff that generates code that I'm then responsible for to, for maintaining. And I've I know I've just talked about generating code in an IDE, but that's a little different. That's kind of spitting out one simple method implementation, but something that generates an entire class or an implementation of something that I'm then it's then in my code base, and as, as I mutate it, I have to then maintain this generated code. I've, I don't know. I'm a little bit allergic to that. No, you, you have a point there. Even in the IDE, when you're, let's say, you're making a new POJO in Java, and you know you do Alt Enter or Command Enter, whatever it is on your operating system, and you do, you know, generate the equals hash code, do the getters and setters, you know, set up a builder, and then every time you go to modify that POJO, you're going to have to rerun that stuff, and if you forget to do it. It's no longer going to be valid, and I've seen this happen. Where yeah, or, or say, somebody else comes along and like maintains one of those things by hand, or hand rolls in some non-standard feature into one of those methods, and then that's it. You can't generate anymore. Right. So, I mean, we we have architects that want to do something. We have users that want to do another thing. Um, then we have tooling to bridge the gap, and then when that's not available, maybe we have libraries that kind of represent things that the users want to do in the language as at the SDK level, perhaps. But when these things aren't enough, I mean, new languages pop up, right? Like Groovy seems like a really, it really Groovy really seems like the putty that fills in all the gaps of Java, um, especially you know in the days of Java five, Java six, where you know, you you had to keep repeating yourself. And jo let's be honest here, Java is a pretty verbose language. There's there's no getting around that. But IDEs and and uh, you know languages and libraries can help all try to help you as much as you can. But at the end of the day, you're still yeah. What's 
Okay. Go yes. ahead. Yeah, and what's what's really appealing of of Groovy is that it does it without making major modifications to the language syntax too, at least for me. Right. So closure and Scala are, are can be um, you know, they they can be very you know, significant changes in in, yeah. in the syntax that you're writing. I think <laughs> from what I've seen, I, I, I haven't exposed myself that much to it, but, but groovy, right. It just from, from the outset, if you know Java and you look at a groovy file, you know, you know, what's happening, right? You just see, Oh, there's, there's no semicolons. And then maybe I see closures and that's kind of, you know, that's, that's new to me, but otherwise it just looks like Java code with just a few missing pieces, right? They aren't they aren't flipping um, variable and type declarations around, you know, like some of the other languages do, um, and things like that. So so it makes it really accessible and, and really easy to get started with. I think. Yeah, that's an enormous selling point in that your Java code is groovy. It doesn't go the other way around. Groovy is just at for the most part add-ons and improvements to 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 Java. But Java code itself, it's been said many times that you can take Java code rename the file to .groovy, and you've got groovy code. That was true. Until Java 8. Yeah, well, until, well... Even until Java 7, I mean, the try with resources construct doesn't work in groovy. The multicat oh, right. doesn't work in groovy. Um, I think there was even some weird variation on a loop syntax that nobody ever used that didn't work in groovy. But there's, but yeah, you're right. For, for the most part, that's that's the case. There are, But yeah, Java 8's kind of blown that out of the water with with its Lambda syntax, which is which is completely different. And uh, interfaces with default and static implementations. Right. Got that as well. Oh, right. That yeah, that doesn't work either. Yep. But, yeah, Gro but Groovy was Groovy was actually addressing that before with traits. Yeah. Well, both of those things. I mean, lambdas were also you know that's just a variant on what Groovy was doing with closures and and right. default methods on interfaces. Groovy was already doing to, in order to get multiple inheritance of behavior. Groovy was doing with traits. So it is pretty interesting seeing how actually how you know Java initially influenced Groovy, right? Because you know it's a child language, but now some of the things that Groovy was doing and was being successful at doing is influence influencing the parent language um, to make change to make those same changes or similar implementations so, of those same conce concepts. Yeah, I th I thought Groovy was inspired by Scala for the traits. Rob, do you know anything about that? Yeah, I think I think the idea of traits came from Scala, um, but it's you know it's a fairly it's a fairly straightforward concept. It's 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 much like the ability to just inherit from multiple classes at once, like you can in C plus plus, for example. Right, um, right. And it just has a convention for breaking the diamond problem around the precedence of of things. Yeah, um, first first one wins, right? Right, exactly. Or last one, I forget now. It's either first or last. I haven't used traits a whole lot with, with Groovy, to be honest. But yeah, there is a convention there that deals with that. And, and Java's interfaces don't go quite as far because you can't have state in them, which you can in a Groovy, in a Groovy trait. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, this is all prodding around a problem, right? I think, well, I think the reason why we have um, default and static methods on interfaces is because Java wanted to extend functionality to the collections class. Um, for doing things like you know turning a collection into a stream or or um, doing some other things that maybe don't exist, but if you change the 
you know, if you change the um, definition of the interface, then it would break everything going backwards, right? Because like there, there are libraries out there that implement their own data structures, but adhere to interfaces. So the core SDK had to um, had to find some way to not break those existing libraries while at the same time extending functionality to the collections, and that's how that's how this interface came about. But it's interesting because it does it does show that there is value in this kind of idea. I mean, you know, Colin's the new kid on the block, right? I think it's been out, I think it was in development since 2010, and then it was uh, publicly announced that it was a thing in 2011, and has since gone through a couple of um, violent changes in what it can and can't do. But Rob, are you using Kotlin day-to-day -day in any capacity? I'm not using or? it day-to-day. There are, I'm in the position of, I introduced it to a couple of other guys at Netflix, and, and they are now using it day-to-day, -day, and I'm kind of jealously looking at the the code they're writing because uh, I sit right near me. Um, yeah, I, I've I've had some done some experimentation with it and done some little open source projects and toy projects with it, um, but I'm not using it day to day, and I kind of wish I was. It's, if if I could choose a JVM language to be working in right now, it would almost certainly be Kotlin. Take that, Groovy. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> again. You know, I love Spock and, and I love Groovy, but the, yeah, the interesting journey I kind of went on with Groovy, I think, is that. You know, back when I started with it, it was Groovy 0.6 or something, and it was pure dynamic language. Um, and then they introduced this idea of added the, added the compile static annotation. And I thought I thought at the time when they introduced it, this was like the worst idea. This is polluting Groovy. This is, you know, this is trying to appease micro benchmark weenies or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, <laughs> And then I actually started using compile static and found I actually really liked it. And and the problem it caused me is was it kind of convinced me that what I actually liked was statically compiled languages. And it, in in a weird way, it just kind of pushed me away from Groovy a little bit. So you're blaming Cedric? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he hates me already for like dissing the compile static annotation when it when it originally came out. And now I'm saying that, like the fact that I started to love it was what pushed me away from the language a bit. <laughs> Yeah, I love coming up with these things, right? Uh, Halloween's just around the corner. Um, and uh, I was thinking uh, with Halloween, naturally you think of candy. And I just wanted to get, get a quick poll here. Of like, what, let's, say, let's say you're trick-or-treating tomorrow. Um, you got the best costume picked out. You knock on a door. What is the candy that you are hoping that you get in your bag? It's, it's not a question for me. <laughs> this, I mean, I, I already know. Because already the answer is this. all of them? <laughs> yeah, well, all of them is a definite win. You know, what, I, what I hope for in terms of the candy they give me is a handful. That's what I want. I definitely <laughs> want a handful. But that's that's a quantity. That's not a type. Whatever, whatever. You know, semantics. Well, but, JavaScript has taken over your thought process. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my candy of choice, with there's no stuttering, I'm certain of this, is Sour Patch Kids. I Ooh. love Sour Patch Kids. I, if I, I they're, they're one of those things that if they're, if I if I'm in a store and they happen to have them at the checkout, I'd buy them. Uh, if I go to the movies, I'm gonna get a box of them and leave real excited about, well, about the fact that I just consumed all that sugar. But yeah, that's my go-to. <laughs> and also torn up the roof roof of your mouth. Well, yeah, there's the burn. Well. Yeah, that's normal. <laughs> so that's that's my answer. There's 
no question there. Yeah, yeah. I think for myself, I'd I'd actually want something like chocolatey and crispy. So something along the lines of Kit Kat or this is lame, but like Ferrero Rocher. It's not even the right season for that, but do they give those out (laughs) to children? No, they don't. I've never, I've never got one ever. Expensive candy, I think. That's yeah. That's a fancy, uh, fancy Halloween. (laughs) Chocolatey and crispy. So I'll settle for Kit Kats. I guess you're you're in a different neighborhood than me. My neighborhood doesn't (laughs) give that out. No, we. (laughs) Someone gave out a a Cliff Power Bar. (laughs) (laughs) And those are not cheap. That sounds like what you get in California. You know, it'd be like. Gluten-free, paleo-friendly <laughs> candy. Here you go, kids. Keep your energies up. Whatever. How about Stay you? Uh, I would, I would pick milk duds. Ooh, um, those are good because that's uh, that's my my dad's favorite candy. And whenever we went to the movies together as a kid, we would we would get boxes of milk duds. Um, so that so that'd be at the top of the list, but inversely, interesting enough, uh, the bottom of the list would be Whoppers. Screw that! <laughs> Don't give me that crap on, on Halloween. But they come in like the a worst weird milk candy. carton. Like the worst candy ever. They come in a milk carton, though. They're the most. They've got that. They've got the most interesting packaging, I think. Malted, malted anything yeah. is terrible. Yeah. People who <laughs> milkshake, not malts. Come on, hops. Like, but that, yeah, I guess milk duds come in boxes, whereas Whoppers come in the uh, plastic packaging, right? Whoppers come in like they. Well, they. I haven't seen them recently, but they came in like the milk carton containers for the yeah, last I time. Oh. Like for like Halloween, they come in like plastic. Little yeah, a little too like so. a six lit kind of thing. Yeah. It's so interesting that you don't like Whoppers, but you like milk duds. Well, they're oh, very man. different. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't get caramel. Yeah, in a whopper. One may, one, one you, you pop a few in your mouth and you can't breathe because like <laughs> so much caramel and chocolate. <laughs> How about you, Rob? I know they got some nice. You, you've got Cadbury. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm. I'm going to be the really boring guy who says he doesn't actually like candy. Um, I don't uh, really like you, Rob. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> but I, I that's like it, that's Rob's last time on the podcast. I'd like to thank like Rob for being on the podcast for the last time. We're done with you. This episode's not <laughs> even like, going to air. I just like quality chocolate, which mean which rules out like basically any American chocolate, which yeah. tastes like which tastes like grease and sugar. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I, I I I do like dark chocolate. I'm just not a big candy fan, really. I guess I, I like sour things to some extent, but I just can't eat much of it. I don't know. I My threshold is super low for eating very much of it. I, don't, I can't pick it out, really. But, yeah, you can get me with some dark chocolate. That works for me. So, so is, I don't is know. Is Halloween you... a big thing over in England? It kind of is. You know, Halloween, I think the tradition goes way back to, to England, but, like, the modern incarnation of Halloween – in in the UK dates to ET being distributed in the UK. It's like <laughs> that movie in and it's suddenly like that's since then that's what Halloween has meant. Um, that kind of American version of Halloween. Nice. Uh, trick or oh, treat. Oh, like the movie. Okay. Four, yeah. Before I, thought there, I thought you meant like like two hundred kids dressed as Elliot <laughs> walking around. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have some sort of Aside from candy, then, do you have, like, a sweet – do you have any sort of, like, sweet escape kind of thing that is, like, oh, this is my – your go-to junk food kind of thing? 
I think alcohol is my is my escape. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of sugar in alcohol. Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially yeah. when um, I'm drinking right now. It's so sweet. It's, it's not like I'm some kind of uber healthy eater or something, but it's just like I'll probably overload on salty things before I'll before I'll start on the candy. Good for you. I think. <laughs> I think. So, yeah, bacon and You know if you you could cover bacon and dark chocolate. Yeah, and that is pretty good, yeah. Yeah. I've never had it, but I, I want it right now. Or coffee beans and dark chocolate as well. Oh, yeah. Thing? Yeah, for sure. So they do have ice cream where you're with bacon bits in it. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Or you can, you know what you can do is you, you can, can go to any. Five Guys and you can get um, bacon in your milkshake. Yep. Yep. Whoa. True. Oh. I've never do, done that. They're called the Elvis where it's like a, um, you get the peanut butter and banana flavors and then you put the bacon bits in it. Yeah. And that's, you know, based on Elvis's famous sandwich where you had banana and peanut butter and a toasted sandwich i'm all about that that's yeah. about where where was that at that you can get five bucks five guys oh nice yeah that sounds awesome yeah. also hope you don't end up like elvis not <laughs> die on the toilet with a five guys milkshake in my hand yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's a way to go that i mean isn't the worst so <laughs> <laughs> he, he died doing what he loved <laughs> oh boy yeah this is a good topic I think I think candy was a great way to to close this out tonight uh, I think we also had a lot of good discussion about the about languages there's a lot to talk about there like like Danny said we start getting into go we could we could have an entire episode on go and you could do that with just about any language there's just so much so much to go on ah, it's a go joke um, but yeah I think I, I think this is really good I got I, I know that a lot of this is is you guys were talking about things that were a little bit new and familiar to me and uh, I, I got a lot of but I hope some other people do too uh, so on that note I'd like to thank you guys for coming on again. Um, John, we'll have you on sometime in the future. Uh, we'll find someone to replace Rob going forward. <laughs> like, to, like once again, thank you guys for being on. Um, for subscribers, listeners, if you've got any feedback, good, bad, neutral, either way, let us know on uh, Twitter or on SoundCloud. Um, we're also on Google Play and uh, iTunes now so feel free to leave comments and give us reviews on there as well thanks for and listening. if you have opinions on how much Rob sucks for not liking candy make sure you voice those yeah, yeah, yeah. just at me directly on Twitter come, come right at him <laughs> come right at him if you want to give me abuse for, for saying that Hershey's tastes terrible then, then come <laughs> also feel free to subtweet Rob <laughs> alright thanks everybody thanks everyone